Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacker Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to frito to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at frito Welcome to Between the Banners, NBA Draft Night Edition. My name is Chad Floyd. I am joined by a happy Chicago Bulls fan in Brandon Anderson. We're not going to talk about the Chicago Bulls just yet because we had kind of a precipitous drop for UNC's highest profile player. Nasir Little fell to 25 to the Portland Trailblazers. And we're going to go ahead and uh, crush that elephant in the room right off the bat. Brandon, how are you, my man? Uh, talking to you here at about 11 o'clock on Thursday night. I am probably doing the best that any non-NBA draftee has been doing all night. Well, maybe not better than Spike Lee, though. Spike Lee's kind of intense. I would argue that I'm probably right behind Spike Lee right now. I mean, that that ranks you as of right now like 28th in the world. That's uh, that's lofty praise for yourself. And um Spike Lee has reason to be feeling himself. I think R.J. Barrett's going to be a good pro. Um, I gained a lot of respect for him when he started answering questions in French at his press conference. And the fact that out of the interviews between Barrett, Zion Williamson, the number one overall pick, obviously, and then uh, Cam Reddish, not one of them has said a word about Coach K yet. And losing it. Yeah, that, that, that's been refreshing to me, and it's been especially refreshing given the fact that Nasir Little fell uh, from the late lottery to the 25th pick and landed with the Portland Trailblazers. Ma'am, at least he ended up with a playoff team. I think that's the biggest takeaway that anybody could take away from this. I mean, as the draft went on, it was like, all right, this is when he's going to get drafted. No, not here. Okay, maybe here. No. All right, this is getting awkward. And it just got more and more awkward. But my thought process kind of as it was happening, it was once it got out of the lottery picks, my mentality was, okay, it doesn't matter which pick he is. What matters is what is going to be the best situation for him. It just so happens that the Trailblazers called his name, and I honestly don't think he could have landed in a better situation as a rookie. Yeah, and we were here last week talking about Cam Johnson landing with the Spurs or landing with the Thunder or, you know, somewhere where you could just kind of have a a pick-and-pop three-point shooter that could play immediately on a playoff team. This might actually work out better because with the Blazers – uh, they're headlined, obviously, by Damian Lillard and C.J. McCollum, uh, two undersized. Um, I mean, really, really, they're both point guard size for the current NBA, but mostly uh, three-point shooters with Nasir as a slasher. That 
adds a level of athleticism to where you really feel like right off the bat he adds to that team. Yeah, and with when you have two really, really good players like that, there's going to be a lot of heat that gets taken off of him. And there's definitely players in the draft that aren't going to be able to say that. Zion being the prime case of that. But I feel like Nas landing in that particular situation where he has, and forgive me, but I don't even remember if McCollum was an all-star, but like he's, I mean, he's exceptional. And Damian Lillard, I mean, we all know what he's able to do. When you get those two players that can take pressure off of you like that, or, you know, just kind of make it to where you're not having to deal with it at all. And you can start to kind of get your, footing under you and eventually destroy people. I just, I'm excited for him. I'm really excited. I, as bleak as it was looking for that to happen is just amazing. Yeah. You can confirm uh, on our Slack channel, as soon as the Spurs passed on at 19, I started uh, chanting uh, trailblazers in the Slack channel. So, you know, that, that was, really the ideal spot for him. I mean, they started Al-Farouk Aminu, Wake Forest legend, at uh, the three last year. And we're, we're not saying Nasir Lil is going to step right in and start. You know, he's he's got some rough edges to round out. But, I mean, that's that's just a good spot for him, you know. And we're, we're – obviously, we're doing a little bit of damage control here. And it's not ideal for – it's not a good look for UNC. It's not a good look for Nasir Little. But it is just a situation where he can go to a winning environment, has to mature a little bit faster than he would if he had landed, say, with like the Hawks, which a lot of projections had. If God, I mean, if he had landed with the Hornets, then we would have forgotten Nasir Little's name in four years. But yeah, I mean, I don't know how many other ways to say, I mean, that's a good spot for him because in the Western Conference, there there are so many good wings that require defending. Nasir Lil's going to have to step up and be ready to play from day one, and I think he's up to that challenge. And with a chip on his shoulder, I mean, Mike Trout was the 25th pick in the MLB draft. Nasir Lil's not going to be Mike Trout in the NBA, but he's going to be exceptional. Yeah, I, I just... I can't wait. The one thing that blew my mind just completely out of the water with that entire situation was the Miami Heat taking Tyler Hero instead of Nas. Like I thought that it was once it got to Miami Heat, I was just like, this is it. And I, I actually wrote the article for Nas getting drafted and I had everything laid out. I was that certain. And then I see this Woj bomb saying, yeah, no, they're going to drive Tyler Hero. And I'm just like, really? What? So I, a lot of teams are going to be feeling that in a few years, I feel like. I know that's a very, um, it's a very, very forward thinking statement on my part, but I just, Nas has so much upside and I realized that he was, wasn't able to show this side or the other in North Carolina, but he really does have additional tools in his game 
I personally need to see it applied on the court against competition during regular season play of some kind, but I just, I, I think he's going to have a good career. I really do. I think you and I are in lockstep and, you know, once, uh, Harrow got taken by the heat, I thought the magic, which he's from, uh, he's from somewhere in Florida. So that I, I thought that was going to be a logical fit as well, just because they've kind of built more around athleticism really. And after the magic missed out on him and I forget who they took, I, I, I realized that it was going to kind of be a precipitous fall for him, but. Yeah, I mean, his efficiency numbers were good. His per 40 numbers were excellent. Uh, Jay Billis has called, I mean, he has been on the record tonight and said this is an absolute steal at 25. The Blazers just got a player who's not only one of the five most talented players in the draft, but also is going to have a chip on his shoulder. And I have trouble disagreeing with most of that. Um, other thing I said in the Slack channel was with Monsieur with uh, Carson Edwards, with Bull Bull all on the board. I've never seen better talent in the 20s of a draft. Yeah, and it was mentioned kind of as it was all happening that it seemed like everybody was going after shooters. And I get it. It's a shooting league anymore. It's hard to take people that bang around in the paint that early. I mean, if we think back to when Jaleel Okafor was – in the running of getting drafted, he kind of got pushed back, 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 because he was a one-trick pony. He could bang in the paint and, you know, get shots near the rim. That was really about it. I'm not saying that Little is that player. I'm not saying Bobo is that player. I'm not saying any of that. But what I am saying is when you do have players that, for instance, shoot like Cam, shoot like Hero, shoot like Kobe, so on and so forth, it's hard to sidestep that, even if you may take some heat later on, kind of skipping over some of the bigger potential, which, I mean, from my UNC fan self, I'm certainly going to give those teams heat for doing that. But, I mean, teams did what they thought they needed to do, so we'll see how all of that plays out. Yeah, and it's definitely a shooting league, but if there's a skill that can be developed in the NBA, it's generally not your physical attributes. It is shooting. Yeah. Um, a lot of what was said about Nasir Little was said about Kawhi Leonard, and I don't mean to draw that com- comparison, but they're very similar sized players in that they were extremely athletic, um, very well built. And Kawhi's, uh, the, the knock on him was that he was not a great shooter coming out of college. And you can make yourself a great shooter just with practice and form and working at it for 60 hours a week. You can't make yourself an elite athlete in that same time frame. That's an excellent point. And if anybody needs some drastic proof of that, look at Theo Pinson. His shooting was not the best at UNC. He figured out how to use his strengths near the end to his advantage. But I mean, it wasn't until he worked really hard in the G League that he just became this 
ridiculous shooter in the G League, and now he has an NBA contract, or at least he had one. We'll see if he goes into 2019 with one, but, you know, point remains. Uh, like you said, shooting can definitely de- be developed. Yeah, it's, it's not a broken stroke like Michael Kidd Gilchrist, and we're, we're just going to avoid talking about the Hornets. Um, let's, uh, let's jump <laughs> to where we expected, uh, maybe a little to fall because the rest of this is good news. Cam Johnson was maybe a borderline second round pick, uh, going into last season. Cam Johnson got picked damn 11th in the draft and, uh, Kobe White probably did this best. If you check out Darren Ravel's Twitter feed, if you check out tarhillblog.com, um, we have a short post on Kobe's reaction at his press conference when Cam's getting drafted. And it pretty much speaks to everything that we felt, uh, as UNC fans, as a community that follows this closer than the uh, average human should. But the man worked himself into a lottery pick. Really, you know, I mean, we, we talked on this podcast about him going 22 to 35 last week. Cam Johnson, 11th overall to the Phoenix Suns. Yeah. I'm, I'm still trying to process it because it's hard to get teams to realize that you're probably better than any projection that anybody has out there. And. This was a situation where it was realized and Phoenix is definitely a team that needs that. Um, I, yeah, I, it, I'm, I think it's safe to say everybody's ecstatic for Cam. He's worked hard. His surgery last year did wonders for him. I mean, it's definitely one of those things where I feel like everything just happened at the right time for him. And ever since then, he's just been on a tear through UNC and apparently everything that he did in workouts and things like that worked out really well for him. And I think he's going to be one of the better shooters in the league, you know, kind of within the next. I'll give him three to five years before we start hearing his name quite a bit in terms of, you know, the type of, uh, I'm trying to, let, let's go with like the Ray Allen-esque players. I, there are some other names I was going to drop, but I refuse because that other team in Durham, but <laughs> I, I, I think he's going to be good. Well, I mean, and it, it kind of plays into the ageism in the NBA a little bit. You know, Cam Johnson at 23 years old is probably 95% of what he's going to be. But if you get, you know, that extra 5% of what Cam Johnson was at UNC really as a second or third option on the heels this year, I mean, 46% from three showed some ability to attack off the dribble, which a little bit is perpetrated. Um, by his ability to shoot from three, but then what you just said about his, uh, his surgery where, you know, he, he showed a lot more explosiveness this year than he did in his junior year. And he's a guy that can fill up the bucket. I mean, in a league that's prioritizing shooting, the Suns, uh, went ahead and got the best shooter off the board. And with him 
Devin Booker, DeAndre Ayton, and uh, Dario Saric, you know, they are a point guard away from having an interesting team. I, I don't know if they're going to be a contender by any means, but uh, interesting at least. Yeah, they'll definitely be very interesting. Um, I don't follow the Suns too close, but I know that they're this, basically they're still in the process of their rebuild. So I do think it'll be some time before they start contending in the league. And I think that's also going to just be good for Cam to kind of, kind of get his bearings straight. It's a young team. And it's a young team on purpose. Um, I feel like they've made some good moves thus far in the rebuilding process. They just kind of have to keep it up and hopefully find some stability in their organization because I believe last I knew there's a few significant changes that we still have to wait and see how they're going to work. Um, I mean, yeah. is is Cam the veteran leader of that team at this point? Uh, he I mean, might be. Devin, How long has Devin Booker been in the league? Devin Booker, I think, is going into his fourth year, and he was a one-and-done, so they're the same age. Yeah. Yeah, so it, it may be between those two, but, of course, Booker has that NBA experience, so that's always well, going to count for something. But I feel like they're right there with each other, if anything. Yeah, I mean, Devin Booker's pretty awesome. And I know the Suns were kind of the first team ahead of the curve with, you know, keeping players healthy and uh, some of the things they did analytically to, you know, keep Steve Nash going well into his 30s and after Amari Stoudemire's microfracture surgeries, keep him productive for longer than he probably should have been. And then he fell off a cliff when he went to New York, so... The Suns are intriguing, you know, for a guy who's had a little bit of a medical history like Cam. Just they're they're going to do right by him as far as keeping him healthy and as productive as possible goes. And if again, I mean, we we go back to a week ago where we were kind of projecting Nas to go where Cam went and Cam to go where Nas went. This might be a better situation where Nas steps into a contender that expects to win every night and Cam comes from a winner and can instill a winning attitude into a team that won 19 games last year. Yeah. And I'm sure a lot of, and the big differentiator between the two is absolutely Cam's basketball IQ. I think that's going to take him a long way. And that's not to say that Nas doesn't know basketball, but it, it just, it very much shows in Cam, I think. And I'm sure Phoenix realized that right away. And I think uh, he got drafted in that area where he very well could become maybe not the franchise player, but he could become one of the franchise favorites if he does as well as I'm imagining he's going to do. I just have, I have a hard time seeing him struggle. Um, when he gets into the NBA, I know that us as Tar Heel fans or, you know, just people that follow the Tar Heels in general, it's easy for us to say that and it probably causes some eye rolling, but legitimately, I feel like he is going to be one of those players that finds a niche 
in the league, not necessarily as an all-star player, just as somebody that can maintain a solid role with whatever team he ends up with at any given point. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you said you you said Ray Allen, which I I, I guess the Duke comp you avoided was JJ Redick. I think Redick's probably a better one because it might take him some time athletically to figure out exactly what his role is. But I look at a guy, you know, kind of more rangy than Redick, and kind of see Clay Thompson. I don't see a splash brother to join him, although Devin Booker, I guess, would qualify. But you know, it's I, I don't think Cam Johnson's going to be Clay. Thompson, let me uh, just set the record straight there, but it is a good situation for him to be in where, I mean, the Suns gave up a lot to trade down. Uh, let's see, Jarrett Culver ended up being the pick that uh, they traded away. So the, the Suns have obviously invested a lot here, and, you know, you hope he can deliver, but I think he can just based on an NBA-ready skill set. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. Yep, and that would bring us uh, to the point where I'm just going to put myself on mute for 30 seconds and let you cook on your Chicago Bulls because we <laughs> had pretty much gotten intel that uh, a certain UNC point guard was not going to make it to the seventh pick. Uh, we had gotten intel that Darius Garland, there was no way he could go to Cleveland because they had just drafted Colin Sexton the year before. How happy are you that John Beeline went to Cleveland and decided that he wanted to emulate the Portland Trailblazers, who we have already discussed on this podcast, and said, hey, we can handle two primary ball handlers. We want two guys who can attack the rim and score. We want Garland, and we're going to leave Kobe White on the board. Brandon, I'm just going to let you have the floor, man. So... First off, I want to say that I am, I, I controlled myself to this point of the podcast a lot better than I thought that I was going to control myself because I thought that I was just going to hop on here and just get the hooting and hollering. But I'm extremely excited for Kobe White to go to Chicago. Um, it's probably the most excited that I've been since prime version of Derrick Rose was in uh, Chicago. There was that little stint where Dwayne Wade, who was my favorite NBA player at one point, got into Chicago, but that whole experiment went rather poorly. Um, but back to the current day Bulls, it was a much needed pick regardless of my favoritism of Kobe White, because if anybody knows me by now, 
I am probably one of the biggest Kobe White fans that there is. But that aside, the Chicago Bulls were in desperate need of a point guard. Uh, at the beginning of this past season, they had Cam Payne and or Cameron Payne. I know Cam Payne, Cameron Payne, but <laughs> they had uh, they had Cameron Payne and they had Chris Dunn in the backcourt running point. And let me tell you, there is probably nothing more cringy than that duo trying to run point guard. And thankfully, the worst of the two, Cameron Payne, they got rid of him pretty quickly. But they let Chris Dunn play out the rest of the season. And I feel like a lot of that was done because once Jim Boylan, who is Chicago's current head coach, unfortunately, once he got there, I think he was enamored with Dunn's toughness and grit and he could do this, that, or the other. And really he just stunk up the place. And that, that's just what happened. And so it put the Bulls in this spot where it's like, all right, we now have Lori Markinen who was injured, unfortunately, for a good majority of this past season, but was showing some promise prior to his injury. They have Wendell Carter Jr., somebody else that was showing promise, got injured. They have Chandler Hutchison, showed promise, got injured. Um, noticing the pattern, picked up. I mean, it sounds like the Tom Thibodeau era Bulls. Pretty much, pretty much. They did pick up Otto Porter Jr. during the season, and I think that was big. I think he was a big pickup. At first, I didn't care for it, but once he actually started playing, I was like, all right, we're figuring some stuff out. And then, of course, there's Zach Levine. Zach Levine is definitely one of the better players in the NBA. He's not top, top tier, but he's one of the better ones. Um, He's another one of those players that just needs to stay healthy. He ended up getting hurt, too. Basically, any Bulls player that I can name, they all probably got hurt. Just to, I probably could have saved time by saying that. Anyways, Kobe White becoming a Chicago Bull is one huge step into hopefully getting a legitimate rebuild going within the Bulls organization because I can't sit here and say that up to this point they've been, they've been far along in the rebuilding process. I would say that they've probably been a little behind halfway of the rebuild. I think with Kobe White, given what I saw him do at UNC and what I think he can do in the NBA, I think that gets you a little bit closer. They still need better veterans. I really think that they could, they could benefit from better veterans. I don't know that they would spend the money, but if they could pick up one or two in the off season and honestly, I wouldn't mind if they picked up a veteran point guard. If Kobe comes off of the bench, I would be okay with that. He's still going to get minutes because Chris Dunn is that bad. Um, but man, and, and, and just if we uh, reverse the clock three years, I saw Chris Dunn at, I guess what was the uh, 2016 NCAA regional, uh, went to the eight, nine game where Providence and their unholy, just 
scary mascot um, kind of traumatized me for life. But Chris Dunn was the best player on the court. And I would argue in the second round against UNC, he still was. So I'm a little bit surprised that he's plateaued the way he has. But Kobe White represents the upside that uh, Chris Dunn didn't really deliver upon, you know, either in Minnesota or in Chicago. So the Bulls got, uh, what, Levine, Dunn, and then what ended up being Markinen for Jimmy Butler? Because that's a pretty good haul. If I remember right, yeah. It, it was a pretty good haul. I, I'll give them credit for that. They've made some questionable moves since then, a lot of questionable moves, but that ended up working out pretty well. I was very skeptical of Markinen, and honestly, I feel like he can, he'll work out eventually. It's just rebuilds take time, and it, I, I just need them to keep adding the right pieces around the situation. And I mean, particularly because I want Kobe to succeed. Part of the problem with being a point guard is your success depends at least some with who you're around. And I feel like if he has some good pieces around him, he'll be good. And it's fair to say that Kobe doesn't accelerate the Bulls timeline, correct? He, he doesn't move the needle tremendously. He moves it a little bit. Um, everything's kind of slow and steady with the Bulls right now. So, you know, while I'm excited, I'm extremely excited. I think most of my excitement is, for one, he's my favorite player from this past season with the Tar Heels. And I think the other thing is, I, I mean, I'm not, it's hard to really get a gauge of what his NBA career will be. But I do feel like he has a high ceiling. Um, I know one of the bigger concerns that I've seen from uh scouts is kind of his carelessness with the ball and things like that. But honestly, look at Steph Curry. He's not the cleanest with the ball either. And well, he seems to be having a pretty darn good career. Well, I mean, Kobe's turnover rate was not so bad. His turnovers per game were... Not wonderful because you had a freshman starting point guard at UNC, which, I mean, UNC was top 10 in the country in tempo last year. Uh, more possessions is going to create more turnovers. So his turnovers per game were not good, but per possession, he really was not bad at all. And that was while learning the system on the fly. Uh, just my kind of 30,000 foot view of the situation. You have a guy like Kobe who has the best end-to-end speed, you know, one of the fastest guys in the NBA the second he steps on the court. You have guys in Levine and Porter who are more slashers that can make plays against a compromised defense. You have Markinen who is an ideal pick-and-pop guy, and then you have Carter who's got decent range. If the Bulls stay healthy, I mean, that's a perfect situation for Kobe because if he gets a step on a guy, you compromise the whole defense. You have two athletic wings who can attack the basket. You have two bigs who can shoot the ball. Um, they're going to be able to spread it out a good bit. And if Kobe can improve shooting off the dribble, which is kind of, to me, the biggest weakness in his game, because I, I think he facilitates better than we give him credit for. I mean, his ability to attack off the dribble and then 
allow other guys to attack and then catch and shoot from the perimeter is potentially lethal. And frankly, you know, he he's not Steph Curry the same way Cam Johnson's not Clay Thompson, the same way Nasir Little is not Kawhi Leonard. But one of those three guys could turn into one of those three guys, you know? Yeah. I mean, if nothing else, just a very watered-down version of one of them. And honestly, when you talk about a very watered-down version of one of the best players in the NBA, like any three of the ones that you just named, that's still a good situation. Um, I I just, you know, I, I feel like just with all three players in general, I, I feel like they all have a lot of potential to – do a lot of good things. I think with Kobe's situation, I think he definitely can have a good career. My big, not my big fear. I mean, it's a fear, but I'm not going to say it's my big fear. But one of my fears is how Jim Boylan likes to coach. And my hope is if it gets bad enough, they just get rid of him. But I don't trust the organization like that, so we'll see what happens. So I just want to warn people that don't really follow the NBA, let alone the Bulls like that. If they do see some very suspect stuff in terms of, like, Kobe stats and things like that, there might be a reason. For example, if you only see him take it, like, three three three-pointers a game, it's because Jim Boylan likes to play on the inside, even though the NBA's expanded outside of the perimeter and things like that. There's a lot of weird quirks about his system that I'm hoping somebody just goes to him and is just like, yeah, um, don't do that. Like, hey, hey, don't do that. Um, so it's like Raymond Felton and Brevin Knight uh, with the Bobcats back in the day where Brevin Knight started over Raymond Felton and uh, – and then Raymond Felton stepped in and was one of the better point guards in the league for a couple of years in his career um, before he got kind of fat. But, yeah, I, I mean, you you bring up a good point because if you look at this from, a, from just a pure standpoint of team stunning guys' growth, I'm honestly more concerned for Cam and Kobe than I am for Nasir Little at this point because the Blazers play a modern system. You know, they are playing – well above their talent level. I mean, you wouldn't say they're the New New England Patriots because they haven't won anything yet, but they're, I mean, they're at least the Los Angeles Rams where they're outplaying their talent level because they are adapted to the modern NBA game. Um, the Suns, I have no idea what they do, but they have some intriguing talent. And the Bulls, I mean, that is a place where young talent could go to die. And I think Kobe White could uh, be the motor that makes them click to an extent, but it is concerning what you say about, you know, Boylan kind of being from the good old boys network, still trying to play two guys in, which is ironic, I realize, because Roy Williams does exactly that or intends to <laughs> at the college level. But I don't know. I mean, I, I think uh, just given your – knowledge of the Bulls, that concerns me more than anything that we've talked about on this podcast. Because I think Nasir went to a went to a situation where he can compete uh as a rotation player. I think Cam went to a situation where he can compete as a leader. 
I'm a little bit concerned that Kobe went to a situation that's kind of effed until they have a whole new regime in, 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 in place. Yeah, it's definitely one that, once again, as a fan of Kobe White, ecstatic. But as a fan of the Chicago Bulls, I'm just like, all right, you got this piece, but you still have a lot of work to do. And I'm hoping, my big hope is that when we actually have everybody healthy, starting this fall that he will look at what he has and actually play to their strengths. So like for, I mean, Zach Levine, marketing, Wendell Carter, kind of like they're all shooters. Kobe's a shooter. I, I pretty sure Otto Porter knows how to shoot a little bit. I mean, you have these players that can play, exactly the type of way that you should if you want to be a playoff hopeful basically you just have to you kind of just have to take a few fingers off of what you're gripping onto really and I'm not saying that he's so incredibly stubborn that he won't do it so you know it's not all bleak for Kobe's situation it's just one of those things where it's like, all right, realize what you just drafted. He excels by stretching the court and then tearing people up in the inside if he needs to. That is his game. Let him do it. So, yeah, we'll see what happens. I mean, I'm cautiously optimistic if for no other reason than I think when you actually get a point guard that can do some good things offensively, um, I, I think that kind of just opens up what you're able to do with the team as a whole. Yeah, I mean, it's an offensive league. You've seen it with Curry. Uh, to an extent, you saw what the Raptors were able to do with uh, Kyle Lowry as opposed to, you know, where, where the – 76ers ran into a problem in the Eastern Conference Finals, you know, where Lowry is marginally better than the Sixers point guard. So, I mean, it's a point guard driven league. It is a shooting driven league. And with that, I mean, going back to what we said about Nas, where, you know, guys at 19 years old, you probably come in maybe 75, 80% of finished product. That extra 20 to 25% is going to be spent honing your craft because it's a profession now. And Kobe could become an absolute knockdown shooter. Uh, we saw it in spurts at UNC. And if he delivers on that promise, he's an absolute stud. I mean, you, you don't get many six, five point guards with that kind of vision, with that kind of speed, who can also shoot the basketball the way he does. So it, it's going to be interesting to see. Um, I'm going to close it out on this, man. Just given the picks at 7, 11, and 25, was this a good night for UNC or was this a bad night for UNC? I think this was a good night for UNC. It just wasn't the night that everybody expected. We expected Kobe to get around, drafted around where he got drafted. Cam getting drafted that high was surprising. 
Nas getting drafted that low was surprising, but ultimately the end result was exactly what we thought it was from a general perspective. But when you break down who got drafted where, it was confusing. So we, we expected two lottery picks. We got that. And then we expected one late first round pick. We got that. That was just the wrong order. And I know there's going to be a lot of people that moan and groan about Nas getting drafted where he got drafted in the C, like Roy didn't develop him right, so on and so forth. And it's like, listen, that isn't really the situation. I mean, ultimately, the NBA teams did what they wanted to do. And the Trailblazers is a great spot for him to land. He's going to do well. He's going to probably stay in the NBA for as long as he chooses to stay in the NBA. Everything worked out. So I'm hoping everybody doesn't get caught up in the little nitpicky things about what happened tonight because it really was a good night. I feel like this was a great night for the program and hopefully next year we can repeat some of that. Yeah, and the thing is, I mean, my defense would be Nas played behind a guy that got drafted 11th overall. What are you going to do? Um, the optics of it just looked pretty bad because Nas was the number three overall recruit in the country last year, projected top three pick, and fell to 25, which kind of plays into the hands of the people who, you know, basically do their recruiting on Twitter for Duke, Kentucky, and Kansas saying, hey, you know, UNC does not develop one and done talent, which, you know, Kobe White would be a, a very quick and easy counterpoint. But what it tells me is that UNC develops talent because Cam Johnson was not on the radar this time a year ago. And fact is, Nasir Little probably walked into a situation that he was not expecting to walk into. He probably expected Cam Johnson to be gone last year and step right into that three role at UNC this year. And he handled it like a champ, I thought. Overall, I would say it's kind of a neutral night for UNC because you can point to the success of Kobe, who was not on the radar as a one-and-done guy, and Cam Johnson, who was definitely not a lottery guy until about two hours ago, and say, well, this is why Nas was pick number 25, because he was playing behind a guy who ended up going number 11 because the Suns wanted a finished product on their roster. But I don't know, man. I'm I'm still conflicted about it. Uh, this is a very rapid reaction podcast to it, and I guess we'll see how it plays out. But I think it's probably going to be worth revisiting in a month or so once uh, we get some hot takes from the Dan Wolkins and the Mike DeSorces and, you know, the other – haughty uh, merit badge media members uh, real quick. But in the meantime, Brandon, what else do you have running on the site this week? Because, whew, man, it's late. I'm, I'm ready to get this thing posted and go to bed. Yeah. Um. So I've been working hard on the draft stuff this week. I'm done publishing content this week, but my next goal is to get some Q&As done with some of our fellow NBA sites that drafted 
Kobe, Nas, and Cam. So um, I'm going to try to get that content cranked out as soon as I can. It'll just depend on what I'm able to get done with that. So that's pretty much what I will have coming in the next week. And I, I know we uh, quickly got a profile on Nas out for the Heat site yesterday. So um, f- funny how you thought that that was going to be the move and didn't quite uh, turn out that way. But, yeah, um, for me, I don't know. Follow at uh, THB Brandon on Twitter if you don't like this podcast. Definitely at him, not me, at Chad underscore Floyd. Um, this should be it for me this week. But – it is seriously, and I've said this last week, but it's seriously getting to where I have to start cranking out uh, some football opponent previews. So one of these days you're going to see one of those pop across on like a random Thursday afternoon. But we're going to start talking about the Cox. We're going to start talking about uh, Miami. Uh, UNC's football schedule is really ugly in September, but we're going to get through it. And honestly, I'm, I might just preview the uh, September opponents and the rest of them. We've already seen them before. Brandon and I appreciate you joining me at this late hour. I'm going to get this thing posted. Uh, for those of y'all listening, thanks for listening and go Heels.